Good morning and welcome to this morning's sermon. It's so wonderful to have you. It's so wonderful to be able to share this morning with you. And as we know, there are crazy things happening in the world at the moment. Um, so yeah, I wanted to share with you a little bit around that this morning. Uh, but first, uh, let us just pray. Father God, thank you that we can be called your servants. Thank you that we can be called your followers. This morning, we just want to hear, Father, what's on your heart and what you have in mind for us, Father God. So I pray, Lord, that you open our minds and our hearts to receive your words and that the words of Christie's completely just fall away, Lord. They will be null, in, null and void. We only want to hear your, vo your voice and your words this morning. So thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So yeah, we are living in truly strange times, I would say. Um, I don't know how many of you have been watching the American elections um, and keeping track of just the issues that they're having over there. And yeah, just exactly what's happening. We, we, we see these two opposing forces, the Democrats and the Republicans. And it's much like our Brexiters, the Leavers versus the Remainers. And it's it's such a contrast in, in values and morals and a want of a leader who represents what the people actually believe. And the funny thing is that there's actually Christians on both sides and each have an understanding of God and they kind of have an understanding of the kind of leader that God wants. But how can they be so opposing? And can they possibly both be right? Could they possibly both be wrong? Um, is one more right than the other? And how can we hear God so differently? It's just so strange. How do we experience God to the point where the ones on the left think that they're right and the ones on the right think that they're right? And well, it doesn't actually make sense. Can God's people be so confused? Now, I want to take us to John 10, verse 27 and 28, where it speaks about how Jesus is the great shepherd. And he says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. So how is it that we are lacking such unity in the body of Christ? And worse, on hearing the voice of the Lord. The scripture is clear. We will hear God's voice. We will know which way to go. And funnily enough, we don't see that. We don't see that happening because how can we differ on something so small as a political party? What about where we stand when it comes to bigger topics? You know, the likes of marriage and raising children and sexual orientation and abortion. And the list goes on and gets more complex and controversial. And we truly are living in end times. The Bible says in Matthew 24, verse 6 to 8, it says, And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed. For this must first take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom will raise against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these things are but the beginning of birth pains. And it's becoming more and more clear that men have built their own kingdoms here on earth, and now we are seeing those kingdoms clashing. The scripture says it quite plainly, nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And as far as I'm concerned, it looks to me like the devil's work is done. He can put his feet up now because we are far too busy fighting each other. And we are not moving our gaze up 
to look at the Father. We are not able to hear a unified voice and we are not in unity with one another. We might as well pack up and not bother because we are fighting each other. And you know what? We're going to become unstuck. We will miss the point entirely if this is how it carries on. We heard last week um, in Pastor, uh, Pastor Hercules' sermon um, where he spoke on similar sort of topics and uh, where he spoke about how people are more interested in fighting with, with each other. And he, he raised the scripture around Ephesians 6.12. It says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So my question to you is, in light of who the real enemy is, who exactly should we be fighting? And how much of that should we be doing on our knees? And I'm going to be challenging a few of our perspectives today. So I want you to keep this in mind because we will be coming back to it. So put a little pin in it because we will be back here. <laughs> so let's get back to the Democrats versus the Republicans. We've seen just about every single major prophet in the state say Trump is going to win a second term. But the current status is that Biden has been declared the president-elect by the media. And we know that Trump is challenging this through the courts. But will this actually change the verdict? Who knows? It's a difficult one to navigate. As I've heard so many different arguments, we've heard that Biden is going to win because God is punishing Trump for his uncontrollable mouth. We've heard that Biden is going to win because God has disqualified Trump on how he's managed the racial um, matters. We've heard how Trump is going to win because the Republicans' policies on abortion and that the subsequently the Roe versus Wade verdict is going to be overturned. I've heard that Trump is going to win because he's going to expose all the corruption in the country and the many high-profile people are going to be going to prison. And this is all from the mouth of Christians. So how can such a, a body of confusion hit the body of Christ? What exactly are we hearing? Have we even taken notice of what we're hearing? Or are we actually asleep? Are we asleep, the sleeping giant and the devil is quietly prodding us to see how awake we are and how the church is going to respond? Or are we in a slumber and we will tolerate pretty much whatever is given to us? It is time to wake up. It is time for that sleeping giant to wake up. We are finding ourselves in an absolute defining moment. Much like that moment when the disciples were in the Garden of Gethsemane and Jesus goes off to pray and he returns and he finds the disciples asleep. Um, and in Matthew 26 verse 40 to 41 it says, And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me for one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. At the critical hour when Jesus needed the disciples, they fell asleep. We should take heed of this advice. Also, what about the story about the ten virgins? They were all waiting patiently for the groom to arrive. But then we know the story. Five of them ran out of oil and missed the, bride's well, the, the groom's entrance completely and the bridal banquet and subsequently weren't allowed in. 
let us take heed from the weakest of us to the mighty of us of us abide in the presence of the lord keep your lamps full now is not the time for half measures with our salvation let alone our walk with christ be be alert do not put off today what can be done today and should be done today and you know what if you find yourself in a slumber that's okay but then let's deal with it today let's not push it off to another day or wait to speak to somebody super spiritual let's phone up a member of your small group your small group leader or any of the leaders in the church and share what you're struggling with what is causing you to slumber we're not going to judge you now is not the time for judging now is about getting back on track with God and that is the most important thing let's get back to that intimate place with God so you may think I'm using quite strong words today which are most most days <laughs> you know this is I know this is strongly worded but it's not because we want to strike fear into your hearts fear that intimidates fear that makes us doubt fear that makes us hide but let's use this to press into God, to grow in maturity in the Lord, to take hope and joy in the knowledge that the Lord is coming. But we need to keep our wits about us. We shouldn't think that America's political problems are not our problems. It's the body of Christ's problem. If we think that this cup hasn't passed the Americans, we shouldn't be so naive to think it hasn't passed our shores. If not, it's already, already here. So... We truly are in confusing times and, well, the prophets may potentially have got it wrong. But what does that mean for us? Well, what about if the prophets got it right and we're literally seeing God's kingdom play out contrary to how the world operates? So I'm going to explore a little bit today and just look at um, if the prophets are wrong and if the prophets are right and what exactly does that mean for us? So let's jump in and have a look. We're going to start by looking at if the prophets are wrong. So I want to say that um, I believe in prophecy. I believe it's here to build up the church, to comfort, to strengthen from a place of love and humility. And if the prophets have got it wrong, does that mean we need to stop prophesying? And the simple answer is absolutely not. Do not stop prophesying. There are many reasons why the prophets could have got it wrong. Let's jump, jump straight in and have a, a look at a couple of reasons. Well, they may not actually be listening in the first place. They could be busy building their own kingdom. After all, we've been warned about the false prophets. How about if they've been caught up uh, so much in bringing glory to themselves that they've lost track of God? Totally plausible. How about maybe God's changed his mind? Or what about when they prophesied, God may have added conditions to his word? There are plenty of reasons. Uh, but let's take a look at one of the stories um, of one of the prophets in the Old Testament, good old Jonah. So Jonah verses 1 to 3, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amity, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for the evil day, for the, for the evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose and flee. Uh, he fled to Tarshish for, from the presence of the Lord. And we know a little bit later, in a few chapters later, it says, Jonah fled because he knew God is gracious. And it says, I know that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. But the problem is, he actually hated the Ninevites and he didn't want God to forgive them. So he, he up and left in the opposite direction. 
So we know the rest of the story. Jonah gets thrown overboard during a big storm as the sailors determine it's actually him who's upset God. A giant whale comes up, swallows him, and Jonah spends three days and three nights um, in the whale before he agrees what God has asked him to actually go and do. And then we see he goes into the city, he goes a whole full day's journey, and then he calls out, he says, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh. He said, By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil and turn from violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may, may not perish. And when God saw what they did, they turned from the evil ways. And God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them. And he did not. Now, you think that this would be any prophet's dream, right? He brings this massively strong word, the people repent, and God averts the danger, you know, so to speak. Not for our dear friend Jonah. <laughs> he believed that the Ninevites were not worthy of being saved. And he, he thought that God should bring his anger against them. But instead, God brings grace. And this for Jonah, well... He brings this massively strong word, God relents. And then it almost looks as if, potentially, Jonah may have brought a false word. Who knows? You know, for those who are the unbelievers in the town, he may have, they must have thought, who's this fool? <laughs> but actually, he saved the people of Nineveh. So this raises a question around the states. Did God change his mind? Or are they false prophets? So one thing I know that when God changes his mind let's just put it out there he doesn't change who he is but he may change the conditions or the requirements so if you maybe have brought a strong word or a rebuking and god has conditions on that message he isn't going to worry about whether you look like a fool for him his name's sake in fact the bible tells us we get you know to be fools for christ basically we speak um we see that in the, in the new testament um but what he is worried about is returning the hearts of the sons and the daughters to the Father. He's worried about your obedience in delivering his word. So, how then will we know who are the false prophets? Well, Matthew 7 verse 17 to 20 says, Beware of false prophets who come in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered by thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Deuteronomy um, 18 verse 21 to 22, it says, And if in your heart you say, um, if you say in your heart, how may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord? If the word does not come to pass 
or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken presumptuously and you need not be afraid of him. But regardless of what the prophets do and don't say, we need to also ensure that we know that we have the ability to hear the voice of the Lord. For the Bible says we know in part and we prophesy in part. We shouldn't only leave it to others to hear or, or speak on behalf of God. We also need to ourselves hear and listen to what God is saying. But in order to do so, we actually need to be listening in the first place. And the question is, are we listening or are we telling God what we want? Are we using our soulish ways to decipher God's kingdom? And if we are, we're possibly going to miss God. In fact, we invariably will. So if we're going to tell him how his kingdom works and what he should be doing and how he should be treating us, again, I think we're going to become a little bit unstuck. So if we want to hear what is on God's heart, heart on, what, hear what is on God's heart and know what's important to him, it starts with listening. And are we listening to what God wants? Do we spend time in scripture to hear what is already on his heart? And are we positioning ourselves around him? Are we submerging ourselves in the word of God so that when that curveball comes, we know exactly what we need to do. So that wall of confusion, when it hits the body of Christ, we know how we are going to respond. Now, let me just say that this is one of the devil's favorite tricks in the book. He loves to get you to say the question, but did God really say that? We see it in, in Adam and Eve right at the beginning of time. They ask the question, but did God really say that? So we need to lay our, our foundations good and thick, the foundations of knowing the word of God, so that when that, that curveball, that wall of confusion comes, we can say with heavy conviction, yes, God did say this. And I want to take a, a, a scripture, um, a, a passage of scripture that's one of my favorites, and it's so clear what the devil does to us. So let me set the scene. Jesus, having fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, is in the desert and he's being tempted by the devil. Let's have a look at how the conversation goes down. Matthew 4, verse 1 to 13 says, And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command the stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me. And I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall not worship the Lord your you shall you shall worship the Lord your God. Shall very important, not shall not, but shall you shall worship the Lord your God. And him um, only you shall serve. So then he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, it is said, you shall not put your Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had, handed, had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. And you see how Jesus fights his temptation? each time with scripture but then the devil thinks hmm I can play this game too I know scripture 
And you see what he does there a second time. He actually puts the scripture out there. But we know, thankfully, that Jesus is one step ahead and can retort with what the actual um, truth is around the scripture. Because the devil likes to take scripture and twist it and then feeds you those lies. And as we know, it's absolute nonsense. So we need to know the scriptures so that when that, ball, that, that, that curveball comes, when that wall of confusion comes, we can say, aha, this is what the, Lord of the, the word of the Lord actually says. Um, so it's no secret, as I've kind of been going through today, talking about how we have all this information and knowledge at our hands. And, well, we are in a thoroughly confusing times. When we look at the Americans choosing a president, each side thinks for themselves, well, this is what's more important to God. But is it more important how we speak and the things that we say that can bring divide? The most recent being all the racial issues that we've seen? Or is it more important that the country has policies that represent God? And most, the most obvious and controversial of these being the abortion policy. So we know that, that Trump is very mouthy and he brings division, but he's pro-life. And then we see Biden who, who wants to bring unity, but has these, these um, abortion policies that he wants to extend. So which of these two sides do you want to choose? And I know I've probably oversimplified it um, and probably too much, and I apologize if I have, but I'm just trying to give an inkling of an insight where there's, there's good and bad bits on both sides. So which of these two do you actually sit and choose? Which side do you go on? Now, I'm not going to tell you where I stand. If I'm going to use the pulpit, um, I'm going to say choose God every single time. I'm definitely not going to be giving advice on which president to choose, that's for sure. But what I would like to say is when we change our view and we look to eternity, we look at the book of Revelation and as complex as it is, it gives us insight into the end times. We know that there will be a coming together, a false unity, if you want to call it a one world leader, a one nation approach where we will need the mark of the beast to participate in society. So in this day and age, I'm always reluctant around unity. We need to ask tough questions when it comes to, to unity and when we see these polarizing type behaviors. Are we culminating to the one world order or is this the unity that should exist in the body of Christ? Each and every one of us needs to know the answer for ourselves on this topic. Is this unity bringing glory to God? Is this unity for and because of God? Is this unity in prayer and around the word of God? May we never get to the place where we prioritize unity with our brothers and sisters at the expense of God's word. May we never dilute the word of or lower, lower it for the sake of sin. We know that Jesus has overcome sin on the cross. That's already done. We don't need to dilute the word or make it or lower the bar. We simply bring our brothers and sisters to the cross because that is where sin is dealt with and that is where disunity is addressed. I'm so mindful about how the Bible speaks um, about how the wheat and the tares will grow up together until the harvest time when they will be pulled up together. The wheat will be gathered by the harvesters but the tares will be gathered and thrown into the fire. In Matthew 25, verse 31 to 46, it says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. 
All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people from one another, as a, as, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those in, on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will say to him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you as a sick person or in prison and go and visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And I can possibly get absolutely sidetracked with this scripture because there's so many amazing things in it. But I wanted us to focus on the fact that he speaks about a divide. So even when Jesus comes, there's going to be a divide. And this will be the final divide. But now, while we're here on earth... We shouldn't be scared of divides, least of all when it comes to the mark of the beast. That is definitely a divide that we must know about and understand the context of it. There should absolutely be unity in the body of Christ. There should be a divide though when it comes to living for Christ. When we don't live as the world lives. When we hold on to truth with everything we have. When we suffer for persecution for Christ's name, unity isn't automatically from God. So we must discern under which we unify ourselves. Are we coming into agreement with God or are we coming into agreement with the Antichrist? Another great divide that we see is between light and darkness. And it's very got very distinct boundaries. Where light ends, darkness starts. And we, are know, we, we know that we are called to be, to be light to this world. And for want, of a better word, for want of a better word, darkness. What does that mean for us? Well, when we consider the American situation, and in the context that they have now got it wrong, the point is that they have put themselves out there in the public forum. They've put their names out there and their reputations on the line. They're taking a stand for God. They're willing to be called a fool for Christ. And in this scenario, even possibly a false prophet. I think we should take heart from this example, though. We encounter darkness every single day. Every single day. When we're with colleagues, when we are shopping, doing a favor for a friend, putting fuel in our car, whatever it is, we are carrying the light of Christ with us. The divide of, of, of light and darkness is carried with us as we go about our business and we encounter the world so how are we piercing that darkness with our example our actions our words our prophesying we hold within us the words of life the words that break bondage the words that set free the words that allow people to meet jesus and we know that the words we carry bring life and they completely transform we need to challenge ourselves to see this divide not because we want to bring divide but because we want to bring light to those who live in darkness. And Luke 14 verse 25 to 27 it says now great crowds accompanied him and he turned to them and said 
If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father, mother, wife, children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Another divide. Jesus isn't saying that we should literally hate our brothers, mothers, fathers, wives, children. He is saying, be my, being my disciple will cost you to put me first. To be his follower, it will cost everything. More than our love for those who are closest to us, there is a divide and opposing force. Our love for Jesus and our love for our own lives and the things that fill it, our own creature comforts, loving our families, our spouses, our children is not bad, but we must love Jesus first, more than any of them. We need to step over the, the line of loving our own lives and lay it down and then cross over the divide of piercing the darkness in our lives. Why? Well, because we love Jesus and because we love others. So let's not be afraid of divides. They will continue to get bigger and bigger. And soon enough, for those of you who are on the fence, you will have to choose a side to sit on. Otherwise, it'll be chosen for you. Choose your side, but then follow through and know how to interact with the opposing side. Know how to pray for them. Know how to speak truth in love. Know that when God is fighting for them and you actually just need to be quiet, pick a side, but know what it means to stand when it comes to the divides. And you may ask, Christy, how on earth am I going to pick a side on the issue in the States? And why actually should I? And well, the answer is we can't really. We can obviously pray for our friends in the States, but our ability to change the climate and to be a part of the change is very limited. So we need to know our authority and the sphere of influence that, of, of what we can actually change. And also know our skills and abilities that God has given us to influence the change that we need to. If I, for example, work in the music industry, I would then naturally have a skill, an authority and a sphere of influence that I would have in that environment. And invariably, this is the area where I should bring about change. This is where our light needs to pierce the darkness, expose the darkness, and bring that light into the situation. What is God doing in your life, that, in my life, that will bring the light and allow you to prophesy into your sphere of influence? Each of us has a platform, one way or another. So how do we use it to bring it back to bring back biblical thinking and to expose the darkness. This will allow us to repent and reunite ourselves and the people around us to God. So that is, in a nutshell, just some of the things to think about when if we consider the prophets are wrong. If, however, the prophets are right, let's explore what that means. And I'm actually referring to the majority of, of the prophets who've prophesied that Trump would get into a second term. And just because what we see in the natural isn't reflective of what's, what's, what the prophets have said, doesn't necessarily mean that they're wrong. And I want to look at um, 2 Kings 6, where Elisha had obviously upset the Syrian king, and the king had come to besiege the city. And Elisha's servant was completely overwhelmed by what he saw. He saw that the city was besieged, it was completely surrounded by the, 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 the Syrian king's army, and he was freaking out. <laughs> but we read in 2 Kings 6, it says, When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, 
an army with horses and chariots all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? He said, Do not be afraid, for those of us who are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open my eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full um, of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. What we see as maybe a helpless situation in the natural was completely overturned when the servant's eyes were opened in the spirit. So whilst the, prom the, uh, the Trump prophets still believe that the election will be overturned, for those of us who are less fortunate than seeing the spirit, we'll have to wait and see and see what happens through the courts. Time will definitely tell who's right and who's wrong. So for us, when we see the situation, what we see in the natural isn't what is happening in the spiritual realm. So it's really important that we know and understand what is happening in this realm so we can discern the times. And that will allow us to pierce into that darkness and prophesy where prophecy is needed. And the last thing I just wanted to end off with today was one point really. And that's just around if the prophets are right or we are right in prophesying. We need to be really careful in not becoming too right. We are heading into a season where we cannot be, be, be caught up in being right or being righteous. The season is going to be about obedience and not turning back to see whether we're right or wrong. And this will include our prophecies. We know it takes a lot of courage to pluck ourselves up, to deliver what we need to deliver and to bring a word that we believe is from God. And sometimes in all our humanness, we like to know that we, we, we write. We write about what we said. But not knowing what we're saying leaves us a little bit vulnerable. And that's where we're going to have to step in faith. Because we know that without faith, it's impossible to please God. So we are going to have to be obedient and prophesy what we believe God is saying. So, lastly, let's now do a quick wrap-up of everything that I've put out there today. And it's a lot, I know, to take in. But let's cover off a few points. You may be thinking, great. Great, Christy. You know, you've obviously got a lot to say on what's happening in America and the prophets and whatever else. But what does that mean for me here in England? Right. First and foremost, we may not all be called to be prophets, but all of us can receive the gift of prophesying. We know that we are called to be a prophetic church to the nations. So let's embrace this into our culture, into our church identity. Second, this doesn't change what we believe in the, in the Father, in Jesus or the Holy Spirit. In fact, it brings us into alignment of what God has called us to do. Thirdly, let's not stop prophesying for the sake of getting it wrong. We will probably get it wrong at some point. That's okay. We take the correction and we grow. We continue to ask God to open our eyes, continue to open our mouths so that we can do His will. We may end up looking like a fool for God. He may ask us to do something prophetically, which makes no sense. We may be asked to do prophetic dances, declarations, songs, whatever it is. Let's be obedient and let's find joy in being a fool for God. If you're spiritually asleep or not feeling quite right, that's okay. Please speak to somebody. We are all here for one another. COVID has had a massive impact on all of us. And what's important is that we get through this together. You don't have to be ashamed about this thing that's hit you for a six. Or in all your me time that you've had, you've actually realized that there's something that needs to be addressed here. Number six, let's keep in unity. 
Let's focus together on the shepherd's voice. Number seven, there will always be a divide. Our light piercing the darkness, us laying out down our lives for the love of Christ. Our support for matters of what is coming in the world. What are we coming into unity with? Number eight, it's super important that we continue to press into God. No half measures, no lukewarmness. God, we love you and we want to be in your presence and we want to know what is on your heart and what you're saying to the church. And I want you to encourage you to dive into God's word and stay there and then some and then repeat because it is wonderful. We know that in being in relationship with God, with being in, in intimate places with God, that from that place prophecy is going to flow. Practice listening and practice prophesying. And I want to stop here for a moment because I want you to close your eyes. I want you to see you sitting where you are. I want you to see God on his throne in heaven, surrounded by his saints and his angels. So can you see yourself sitting? Can you see God upon his throne? Notice how big he is and notice how small you are. Notice how he loves you despite this. Notice how he has placed you where you are for a very specific reason. Look at your home situation. What is God saying? What does he want you to speak over your home and your family? Now look at your work situation. What is God saying? What does he want you to speak over your work and over your colleagues? Now I want you to lift your gaze up and look at your neighborhood. What is God saying? What does he want you to speak over your neighborhood? Look at your city. What is God saying? What does he want you to speak over your city? Now look at the nation. What is God saying? And what does he want you to speak over the nation? And with that, I'm going to close off in a very simple prayer. And just say, God, I pray that you open our spiritual eyes. Give us prophetic utterance. Lord, we pray that your kingdom come. We pray that your will be done. May your name be glorified. Father, we know that you've called us to be a prophetic church. And I pray that you help us to step into our prophetic calling as a church. Amen. Please join us for ministry time after this. The links are available. Please come and share what's on your mind and what's on your heart. We want to walk this road with you. We want to share our lives with you. So please join us. And um, God bless for the rest of the week. Bye-bye.